Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you today, Lord, for just bringing us here to your house. And we pray, Lord, that you would just receive, Lord, us, Lord, into your presence. If there's anything, Lord, right now that is hindering your word from going forth, if there's anything distracting us from receiving your word, Lord, that you would remove it. And that we would put you first, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this book of Nehemiah that's teaching us leadership principles. That we'd really grow from them. That we would learn from them, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we said, Amen. One of the things that we learn here in Nehemiah 6 specifically is how to build now, as he's building in the midst of opposition, as how to build without fear. Or how to overcome fear. You see, in our Christian walk, in our Christian life, we're going to be able to be faced with different opportunities and different times and different seasons in our lives where we are maybe paralyzed with fear, paralyzed with intimidation, that we never get anything accomplished of what God has called us to do. Because we're fearful about what others may think of us, whether others would approve of us, or we're intimidated by the fear that the enemy wants to oppress and now instill in our lives. And we become paralyzed by fear. We become paralyzed by the thought of failure, by the thought of doubt. I've heard it said before, we are called to lead from the front with grace, not from the rear with fear. <laughs> We're called to lead from the front with grace, not from the rear with fear. And now they're going to conspire against Nehemiah to stop the work from being fully completed. And understand this, when you're building something, when you're on, on the road from ruin to restoration, on that road from ruin to restoration, you're going to find yourself in constant spiritual warfare. I don't know if you try to do something for God lately, and as you try to do something for God lately, you find yourself in constant spiritual warfare, whether it's health, financial, marital, your job, you name it. There's some constant spiritual warfare taking place. But here we learn what's one of the most needful things in spiritual warfare and in leadership. And I want you to write this down if you love taking notes, because one of the most important leadership qualities that you and I can have that we're going to talk about today that Nehemiah possessed is the quality of, here it is, discernment. Discernment. And discernment is so important in any leadership person. Discernment. Because with discernment, we will grow spiritually, but without it, we will suffer. And when we lack discernment, guess what also we lack? We lack true leadership. You want to know how discernment comes, how you get discernment? Well, you only get discernment by fellowship with God. A lot, a lot of you are wondering, what does discernment mean? <laughs> well, discernment means you're spiritually being guided you have spiritual understanding because you are familiar with God's will through God's word and through God's in prayer, through spending time in prayer. Do you have discernment? Can you understand spiritually? Are you, do you have spiritual understanding? Are you being guided spiritually in every way of your life? Because with discernment also comes direction. You want to know that you're going the right direction. It's discernment that allows you to know that you're going the right direction. And, and discernment you get by the Holy Spirit. Discernment. You know what we learned that why discernment is so needed here, even in the life of Nehemiah? 
Because every decision that Nehemiah makes, even up until chapter 6, every decision was a spiritual one. If he built, that was a spiritual decision. If he didn't build, that was a spiritual decision. Where he placed people, that was a spiritual decision. Whether or not in chapter 5, he bought land, that was a spiritual decision. Because when you have discernment, every decision that you make is a spiritual decision. And we learn here in chapter 6 now that he's not going to go unless God says go. <laughs> have you ever gone before God said went, go? And you went without him saying go because of a lack of discernment, right? And maybe you end up in a position that you didn't want to be in that God never intended for you because of lack of discernment. Now the spiritual warfare that was taking place in Nehemiah's life was allowed by God. And I want you to know that. It was allowed by God. Do you want to know why? Because God never wants our dedication, He never wants our integrity to be softened. Soft integrity. Soft dedication. Because of extended periods of time of irresponsible luxury. You know what God does if He wants to raise someone up? He allows them to be able to grow, but He also allows them to be able to be tested. Because if He never tests you, then that means you have some soft integrity, and that means that you have some soft now dedication. Those that never have been tested, and those that never now have been tried, have soft integrity, soft character, and soft dedication. How do you know your dedication is real? How do you know you have strong, firm integrity and solid character? Because it's been tested before. Because it's been tried before. And God's allowing this to be into the life of His servant because he's, it's the making of the life of Nehemiah here. He's making him stronger. And He's making you stronger. Spiritual warfare makes you stronger. It tries your character. It tries your dedication. It tries now your integrity. He's not going to allow him to be soft. He wants to make him a man because he's a wall builder. Let's read here Nehemiah 6 verse 1 now as we see how discernment is so necessary in our lives. I love this Nehemiah thing. Nehemiah is so, I, I, I just, we're so impressed by Nehemiah. But chapter 6, the discernment part, I want to tell you, if you came today, it wasn't an accident. <laughs> because we need discernment. And we says here now, Now what happened when Sambalat, Tobiah here, and Geshem, the Arab, these three men that have been there from the beginning to the end of where the wall has been built, conspiring and criticizing and judging and opposing and wanting to stop the wall from being built, they are still there. And even if they overcame the attack, the attack comes back again. Now when Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall. Look at when the enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors in the gates, that Sambalat and Geshem sent to me saying, now these are the enemies that for a long time conspired against Nehemiah to get him to stop. And now they hear that the walls are completed without gates yet. They sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plains of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. An ulterior motive. An agenda. You see what's interesting here? 
is that now they saw that the wall was completed. In verse 1, they saw that there were no breaks left in it. Are there any breaks left or any gaps left in the walls that we're trying to build right now? Well, you want to know why there was no breaks? There were no breaks because Nehemiah and the people took no breaks. <laughs> Sometimes we want to see the wall with no breaks. However, we're living in a constant lifestyle and agenda of breaks when it comes to our dedication. He didn't take breaks, so in the wall, there were no breaks. <laughs> you see, when you start to take breaks in your walk with God, breaks when it comes to prayer, I'm going to take a break when it comes to the Word of God. I'm going to take a break when it comes to fellowship. I'm going to take a break when it comes to serving God. You start to see breaks also in different areas of your life. There were no breaks because he also didn't take breaks in his commitment. And look what happens here as he took no breaks. The enemies heard. The doors weren't yet hung. The walls, uh, the, 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 the gates weren't hung yet. And they heard, and guess what? They feel threatened. The enemy feels threatened. They feel insecure. They feel challenged because now, guess what? These little Jews that we thought they weren't going to build the wall, the walls are actually kind of done now. <laughs> the only thing they have left is to put the gates in the walls now. And look what they say in verse 2. Then Sambalat Gesim sent to me, Come, come. Hey, we want to stop you. We want to distract you. Come. Let us here meet together among the villages in the plains of Ono. But they sought to do me harm. Understand the first trap. There's three traps here. The first trap in order to distract you from what God has for you is this, this, this one in verse 2. The trap of worldly friendships that can distract you. The trap of worldly friendships. These were his enemies. And you know what the enemies want to do? Hey, come. Why don't you meet with us then? Why don't, why don't we, we come together? We're friends, Nehemiah. Come on. You don't have to be working on the wall today. You got to just take a break from the wall. You're almost done. The wall's already done. You just have to put the walls. So let's take a break now. Come on. Let's meet. And that's what the enemy wants to do. You know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to take up your time. And you know what? You don't get that time back. A lot of the reasons why we never hang the doors, we never hang the walls, the secure areas into our lives, it's because we're too distracted using up our time for other things. And the enemy wants to say, come, stop, don't even put the doors on there. Don't even put the gates. The enemy wants to take up your time. And this is what we have to learn about Nehemiah, to be selective. To be selective. Because they thought to do him harm. Even if the enemy, if the enemy can come in into our lives and he can distract us as a church, then he has won the battle. If the enemy can distract you, then he won the battle. If the enemy can get you off a of course, then he won the battle. He won. It, it seemed like such a harmless, such a polite invitation to come in and fellowship a little bit, but they wanted to take up his time, these worldly friendships, in order for him to stop building. You see, in whatever position that you're in right now, understand this. There are going to be those people that are going to be so nice in front of your face. But literally, behind your back, they're wanting to do you harm. And they just want to take up your time. Because they don't want you to be doing what God called you to do. And in front of you, they, they will tell, be friendly to your face, but they are going to be planning your downfall behind your back. That's why discernment is necessary. These men came with an ulterior motive, with an ulterior agenda, a hidden agenda. 
come. And look what it tells us now in verse 3. They sought to do him harm. Verse 3 now. So I sent here messengers to them saying, this is amazing here, verse 3. We can spend all night in verse 3. Because all of us here have received invitations. All of us here have now received the invitation where something or someone or a specific uh, you know, event is trying to draw our attention from doing what God called us to do. And, and it's a harmless, a very polite invitation, something that, that may seem that it may be good. But look what here Nehemiah does. This shows his dedication. He was focused. You're either dedicated or you're distracted. And Nehemiah shows us that. Look what it says here. So he sent messengers to them. He didn't even go. <laughs> I love this. Sometimes people uh, tell us, you know, well, you're all, why are you always at church? Or why do you always have to do that? Or why do you have to do this? It, it reminds me of Nehemiah. Because look what Nehemiah says. I'm doing a great work. Don't you understand this? He, he sends messengers back. I'm not going. <laughs> I'm doing a great work. It says here. So that I cannot come. And he tells him this. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? So what do they really want? They wanted the work to stop. And they wanted to distract them with these worldly friendships. You see, there's a danger in always saying yes to every invitation. I'm learning that right now in my life. That there is a danger in always saying yes to every invitation. This here, verse 3, is the leadership mentality. You have to learn to say no. You know, you know what's impressive about him? The Nehemiah, who was so strong in character, was so strong in integrity. You know what he said? I cannot come. I can't. I mean, that's something that we do not like saying. We like saying, I'm in. Count me in. I can't come. My schedule, let's throw it out of the door. I, I, I'll be there. He's saying, I can't come. I'm doing a great work. There was a person one time in ministry, uh, uh, you know, a few years ago that said, you know what, I want to serve in ministry with you guys. But I just feel that if I serve in ministry with you guys, then I just can't go to Dodger games. <laughs> and I was like, wait, whoa, that's incredible that you're just bringing that up. Because you're already thinking about a way to not be a part of the commitment instead of thinking about a way to be in the commitment. You know where Nehemiah's mind and heart was? It was committed. And I love it here because he says, I can't come. The work was a priority. He didn't want to put it off. He didn't want to pause it. He didn't want to put it on hold. He didn't want to delay the work. He wanted to be faithful and committed to the work. You see, we ought to be very careful that we don't let good things, good things, get in the way of the best things. It can be a good thing, but if it's getting in the way of the best things that God's called me to do, then maybe I shouldn't be a part of them. Because these are the best things, the commitment and the faithfulness, that's better. The New Living Translation reads this verse, so I replied by sending the message to them, I'm engaged. <laughs> I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet you? You're expecting me to stop the work so I can come and meet you? You're, you're out of your mind, he's saying there. I'm engaged. It reminds me of that verse in 2 Timothy 2.4 where Paul tells us. He tells you and he tells me. You know what he says? He tells us this. 
No one engaged in warfare entangles himself, entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. 2 Timothy 2.4 If you're engaged, if you are engaged in warfare, and all of us here are engaged in spiritual warfare, you're not going to entangle yourself in the affairs of this life because you are already wanting to please Him who enlisted you. See, I think the question that we have to ask ourselves today, am I entangled with the things of this life? Or am I engaged in what God called me to do? Am I entangled or am I engaged? Am I dedicated or am I distracted? Nehemiah knew here, I am engaged to this work. Therefore, I cannot become entangled to that right now. Because I'm engaged. And this is interesting here as, he, as we're starting to see this. He's saying, I cannot come. He was focused on doing what God called him to do. He was not concerned. He was not worried about what other people are doing. And, and notice this also. The wall was already finished, right? Nehemiah could have been comfortable at this point and said, you know what? Well, all the walls are done. We just have the gates now. Hey, you know what? It's time I can take a break now. No, he didn't get comfortable. He didn't feel like he arrived because the walls were up and only the gates needed to get done. Sometimes we can do that. We can say, you know what, everything's almost done. I, we've arrived. Now I'm not, I'm not, you know, it's, 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 I think it's cool for me to, to go and, and, and take a break from what God, you know, this, this wall that I'm building. No, he's saying here, I am engaged, so I will not be entangled. You see, too many times in our Christian walk, we become so entangled that, or so distracted that we forget we're engaged in spiritual warfare. And then when we get hurt in spiritual warfare, it's like a wake-up call. Like, what? I didn't even, I forgot I was in spiritual warfare. Because I was so entangled with distraction. Here he remains focused. Verse 4. But they sent to me this message four times. What does that mean? It's not going to come only once or twice or three times. Numerous times. Come. Come spend time with us. Four times, verse 4, and I answered them in the same way. I'm faithful, I'm loyal, I'm committed to the work. Why? Because effective leaders know how to say, I can't come. I cannot come to the things that take me away from those most important tasks. I love what Charles Swindle tells us in his spiritual leadership book, that we as leaders cannot or must be willing to say no to secondary matters to give full priority to those things that are screaming for your attention. Maybe you have to say no to secondary matters for those things that are screaming for your attention. This is screaming for your attention. The wall, the commitment, the faithfulness is screaming to your attention. Are you willing to say no to secondary matters to give full attention to those things that are screaming for your attention? He knew as soon as he left that the work would suffer. If I leave, the work is going to suffer, he thought. So his attendance was needed and his presence was needed. This is why discernment is so important. And I'll tell you, discernment is the ability to judge a matter according to God's view, according to God's word, not according to the outward appearance. The outward appearance is not discerning. The Spirit is discerning to where God is leading you. 
We sometimes are following the outward appearance. That is not discernment. And we're often deceived by the outward appearance, right? Think about how, how Samuel was deceived when he was going to choose a man to be king. And, and, and you know what? He, he said, no, God, this must be him. You know, one of Jesse's sons. And the Lord said, no, no. Listen, you're going to pay attention to who I elect and who I choose because God, the Lord, does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. What was Samuel learning to do? He was learning to be spiritually discerning, to look at it with God's view, to look at it with God's heart, right? To judge the matters the way God would. That is discernment. A lot of us today, we suffer because of lack of discernment. We follow leaders that, and teachers that give good appearance or things in life that give good appearance. But those things are not walking in the nature of Jesus. And if they're not walking in the nature of Jesus, they, they, they guess what's That's going to make us suffer. That's why we need discernment. You would ask yourself, how can I develop discernment then? What is this discernment thing that you're talking about? How can I have it? Well, discernment is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And first, if you want to see things... As God sees them, that's discernment. I want to see it the way God sees it. I want to be spiritually guided. I want to have spiritual understanding. I want to see it the way God sees it. That is discernment. Then you have to get to know His Word. You will never be able to see things the way God sees them if you don't know His Word. Because you will never know what He has to say about that. You want to know how, what He has to say about that? So that you can see it the way He sees it? And you have to know what He says about it in His Word. That's discernment. But it always comes through you waiting on God. It's also a spiritual gift. So you want discernment? Ask the Holy Spirit. Lord, send your Holy Spirit. Seek out for discernment and say, I want to be spiritually discerning so I know when to do yes and when to go no. <laughs> That's spiritual discernment. I don't want to lack spiritual discernment. You see, without spiritual discernment, uh, we can think that a very dangerous invitation like the one here in Nehemiah is very harmless. But at the end, it's very harmful for us. And we, he, we're teaching us discernment here because discernment gave him one thing. It gave him focus. It gave him focus. When you have discernment, you also have focus because you understand what God wants you to do. When you have discernment, you don't get sidetracked. When you have discernment, you are fully now hearing the voice of God. And any, anyone that is doing a work for the Lord, even if you're at work or wherever you would find yourself when discernment comes into play, is when you are now challenged and you must decide with a hundred different noble and good ideas, a hundred different good ideas that might look good, but they're not what God called you to do at this time. Just because it's a good idea doesn't mean God called you to do it at this time. And that's why you need discernment. Because discernment allows you to choose the way God would choose. And it gives you focus. Now verse 5, look what happens here. In verse 5. Then Sambalant sent his servant to me as before the fifth time with an open letter. Now this is the fifth time he comes around. Now he has an open letter. And look, let's read what the open letter does. Now after four times of rejection, now you see the real intentions exposed now. They're exposed because he said no. Now Samuel sent this letter to me before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. The same guys that said, come hang out, now they're sending him a letter to attack him. His intentions, their intentions were exposed now. 
It's very interesting when you tell someone no because you want to do what God called you to do, how they're going to start behaving towards you. What their intentions are towards you because you said no because something is more important. Now the real intentions start to surface. And you see here now, therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be the king. You want to be the king, Nehemiah. And also you have appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king, so come therefore and let us consult together. They threaten him. You better come, or else we're going to tell the king that you've hired servants, you're building the wall, you're, you're calling yourself the new king. Why? Because he said no? So now they turn on him? It's interesting what happens when you tell the enemy no. You think the enemy's happy when you tell him no? No, he's not happy when you tell him no. In fact, the enemy's going to come back with a threat when you tell him no. You really want to serve God instead of serving me? The enemy is going to say, I'm going to threaten you then. I'm going to threaten your comfort. I'm going to threaten your happiness. I'm going to threaten your dreams. I'm going to threaten everything that I can because you, you need to serve me and you're not going to serve the Lord. That's what's happening here. But you, what do you think about Nehemiah's doing here? You know, there's a big difference right here when he said no because there's a big difference between in being an available man or woman of God, being available, want to be available, and being a puppet of people. Just because you're available, it does not mean that you have to say yes always. And Nehemiah teaches us this. One of the most mature marks of leadership is when you say no without any explanation. When you tell the enemy no, when you tell people no, it's no explanation needed. Right? Verse 6 and 7, now he's saying, you want to rebuild the wall, you're trying to be the king. Look, I suggest you come. So first they want to attack him with a worldly friendship. Now they want to attack him with a worldly slander. And they're talking about him. Verse 8 and 9. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you said are being done. It's false. You're falsifying this stuff. You're fabricating this. You're lying. It's deceit. But you invent them in your own heart. It is not true. You're inventing these things in your own heart. Why? Because they're threatening him with false accusations, right? That you're trying to rebuild and they're criticizing him and they're, they're judging him. But he's saying, you know what? I'm not pressured. I'm not going to go just because you threatened me. Have you ever felt pressured? So you said, I'm going to give in? Nehemiah felt the pressure. This is five times in a letter saying, we're going to tell the king that you're trying to take his spot. You think he felt pressure to go? He said, I, I still don't feel pressured. That's real integrity. What does he do here in verse 8 and 9? It says here, there's no, you invent these things in your own heart. I'm not going to allow distraction to dictate the pace. You know what happens when you allow distraction to dictate the pace? You almost never end up in that destination. Because you allow distraction to dictate the pace. Alright, I'm distracted here. I'm going to slow down a little bit. Then I'm distracted there. I'm going to slow down a little bit more. To eventually, when you're never going to reach that destination of everything that God had for you, and see the walls fully be rebuilt because you let distraction dictate the pace. He was, he was fearless. He was bold. But in 1 Corinthians 15, 58 tells us, Therefore, beloved brethren, be steadfast. Stay here. Be unmovable. I'm not moving. So Nehemiah said, I'm steadfast, I'm immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's amazing. I'm steadfast, I'm immovable, I know that what I'm doing, it's in the Lord and it's not in vain. 
He didn't have to give an elaborate explanation. Oh, uh, you know, to Nehemiah, to Tobiah and Sambala, uh, you know, and, 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 and prove to them that he, that he was, you know, that he was right and, and that they were uh, falsifying and fabricating lies. He was going to waste his time with them. So he said, let me keep doing what God called me to do. And here we see in verse 9 why they were doing this. For they were trying to make us afraid. What does the enemy want to do? He make you afraid. Make you afraid. Put the thoughts in your mind that scare you the most. What are the thoughts that scare you the most? Those are the thoughts that the enemy wants to come with, at you with. You will never see your family back together. You will never accomplish what God called you to do. No one will ever care about what you're doing. The enemy wanted to make him afraid with what? With what? Listen up. This is amazing here. I want you to please pay attention to this. The enemy wants to make you afraid with lies. With lies. A lot of times we're so defeated. And it's just because of lies of the enemy. This is deception. And you think about what's happening here. The enemy wanted to make us afraid. It says here, for they're trying to make us afraid. And saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. They're trying to discourage them in the work and it will not be done. They're trying to make us afraid to stop them from doing what God called them to do. With what? With intimidation. I'm intimidated. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to try. I'm not even going to try because I'm intimidated. I'm insecure. It would never happen. The Lord will never do that for me. I am now discouraged now. But he wasn't that. He realized, I'm, gonna be, I'm not going to be insecure. I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm not going to be intimidated by the enemy. I'm not going to let the, uh, the, the lies of the enemy stop me, right? But he's saying, I'm going to be resilient. And I'm going to be relentless here in this call here. And it tells us here a little bit more what he does. In the work that it would not be done because he wanted the work to be done. And look what he goes now to do. He doesn't say, Lord, tell them to stop. You know what he does? I think this is the prayer that we need to pray. He, he inter, I love what Nehemiah does. There's interwoven prayers throughout the chapters of spiritual warfare. That's how our life should look. Spiritual warfare, interwoven prayer in the midst of spiritual warfare. Just let it tether. Now, your every single life prayer through that spiritual warfare. Look, there's a little prayer here in verse 9. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. I think the prayer that we usually pray, Therefore, God, give me a break. Therefore, God, make them stop. Therefore, God, take that person out of my life. You know what he said? Therefore, God, strengthen my hands. Prayer for strength. Prayer for encouragement. When was the last time you asked the Lord, give me strength? Sometimes we always ask the Lord to eliminate people <laughs> instead of, Lord, you're actually trying to make me stronger. <laughs> Lord, strengthen my hands. He didn't look for a way out, but he looked for a way for strength. Sometimes we look for a way out instead of for a way up. And God is saying, I don't want you to go out. I want you to go up. I want you to grow now. This is a way for strength in the Spirit of God. They were talking bad. They were doing, telling lies. The Lord will always make sure that the truth wins at the end. And, and, and it's interesting here because these are people that are criticizing Him. Right? Alan Redpath said, No man can lead a work of God. He allows himself to be governed by the opinions of what other people think. 
He is to be secure in fellowship and prayer and advice. He is to, uh, he, and he is foolish not to take it. But if his ultimate decisions are based on the popular opinions, he's going to fail. Is, are, are your now decisions based off of the popular opinion? Because if they are, you're going to fail. You see, standing up for truth requires courage. Inevitably, sometimes in our lives, it comes with the share of bruises and blows. But it's worth it to stand up for the truth. And in verse 10, it tells us this. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, and the son, the son of Mechabel, who was a secret informer. Now he comes into the house here. And to the secret informer, look what he's about to tell us that what happens here, because now you see the third attack. The first attack was the attack of worldly friendship. The second attack was the attack of worldly slander of the lies of the enemy. The third attack was the attack of worldly religion. And I'm going to go ahead and we're going to elaborate that here in verse 10. And it says, and he said, now this secret informer now, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. Indeed at night they will come to kill you. Now this secret informer, this little conspirer, comes to Nehemiah and says, you know what, let's go and hide in the house of God. Right after, he just asked God for strength. You see, you think God wants you to hide? God doesn't want you to hide from the enemy. It's interesting, when you talk about the entire armor of God, have you noticed that every part of the armor of God, from the head to the toe, is an offensive now uh, weapon? There, how come the armor of God, there's nothing for your back? <laughs> because you're never intended to put your back to the enemy. You're never intended to hide from the enemy. And sometimes we want to give our, our back to the enemy. That's where we expose ourselves. But now here he's saying, come, let's hide because they want to kill you. Let's hide at the temple. They want to kill you at night. You know what Nehemiah does is, is in his integrity, he knows that in the temple only priests are allowed in that most holy place where he was asking him to hide. And he was wanting to make him compromise. This was a wolf in sheep's clothing. He seeks now to persuade Nehemiah, to convince Nehemiah to an easygoing compromise. Come on, let's just hide, and then they won't kill you. They won't find you. You can shrink from persecution, from pressure, from oppression, from commitment. You don't have to be worried about those guys. Come on, you don't have to carry the cross, really. That's what the enemy wants to tell you. Just come hide over here, and the burden won't be that heavy. You don't really have to serve. You don't really have to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Just come live your Christianity over here in this side, right? And look what happens here. This is a lifestyle that is governed by fear because he's scared of the enemy. And this is a lifestyle that is governed by the opinions of other people. What was he, the, the, this false prophet doing? He was offering Nehemiah an easy way out. That easy way out is a life of fear and a life of disobedience. Look what Nehemiah does. He says, I'm not going to hide here. You think you want, you want me to hide in the temple? I'm not going to do that. And I said, should a man as I flee? I want you to underline that. Should a man like you flee? Should a woman like you flee? Should a man like you run? Should a woman like you hide? Why is it that you're hiding what God hasn't called you to hide? Because the enemy is after you? No, he says here, and who is there such as I that would go into the temple to save his life? I'm not going to go in. You want me to hide? You want me to run? I'm not going to run. I'm not going to hide. Proverbs 28.1. What does it tell us? The wicked flee when no one is even chasing them. But the righteous are bold as a lion. You know why he wasn't going to run and hide? Because he had nothing to run and to hide about. 
You only run and you hide when you have something to run and hide about. He said, I'm not going to live my life in fear because I have discernment. And I know that God didn't give me the spirit of fear. You want me to live in fear. That's why you want me to hide. Hiding is only for people that are living in fear. That's where fear takes them to, to hide. Fear takes them there. No compromise. No commitment. That's what fear takes them to. But it's amazing that God has told us in His Word through Paul, as He tells Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear. And today, know that. God didn't give you a spirit of fear. God gave you a spirit of power, of love, and of sound mind. What does that mean? That if it's fear, then it's not from God. If it is fear, then it's not from God. Know that. Oh, I have all these thoughts about this. These fearful thoughts, these intimidating thoughts, these insecure thoughts, these doubts, this fear of failure, that is all not from God. <laughs> That's from the enemy. Because God has given me a spirit of fear, not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of, of power, love, and of sound mind. So I know if He wants me to hide, that means He wants me to live in fear. That means He's not coming from God, because that's fear. And if they want me to hide, then that's fearful, and that's not coming from God. Verse 12, look at it, it said, Then I perceived, or I discerned here, that God had not sent Him at all. <laughs> Have you noticed those people in your life that come in with good, pure motives? And I want to I I help you. I'm going to help you hide. I'm going to help you now. Because everything's going to be easy. Make sure you know if that's from God or not. I discerned that that was not from God at all, but that he pronounced his prophecy against me because Tobias Sambala had hired him. This guy was hired on. And he said, I know he wasn't speaking in wisdom. I know he wasn't talking on behalf of, of, of God. He was talking on behalf of man. And you know what Nehemiah does? He doesn't get all, you know, st you know stuck on this. He simply says, you know what? These accusations, this oppression... He rolls it off his shoulder and he stays focused on what God called him to do. You know, he stays focused on the needs of the people. The needs of the people. And he says, you know, I'm allowed the, the results to speak for themselves. Because in verse 13, it says, For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way. You know what fear makes you do? It makes you act a different way. It makes you act in a way where you're not confident in God. Fear makes you act in a way where you're not confident in God. That is not from the Lord. Where you're not trusting in God. He was hired to make me afraid. There's so many of us that are living in fear. And that is not growing your relationship with the Lord. That doesn't honor God when you're living in fear. That doesn't honor God when you're not living. That's from the, the enemy. Those are the lies of the enemy. And it says in here, it says, and act that way and sin. When you start to act that way, it almost leads you to sin because you're living in that fear. It says, so that they might have a cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. So now fear, what does it do? It changes the way you behave. It changes the way you act. And here Nehemiah is teaching us to live not by fear, not by emotion, but he's teaching us to live by faith. What is it? What does fear do? It's an intimidating thing now because it changes the way you act. And look what it says here. When I sin... They're going to discredit me. They're going to take away my credibility. Fear removes all sense of credibility. And here in verse 13, it shows us that he was sure about what God called him to do. Verse 14, my God, remember, Tobiah, Lord, remember, another prayer. Sambala, according to these works and these prophet, uh, prophet, uh, prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who have made 
me afraid. Remember them. Lord, you be my defender. Those people who are attacking me, remember them. They're trying to cause fear in me. Why? What does fear want you to do? It wants you to lose confidence in God. It's not of the Lord. And I want you to know fear in itself is not sin. But yielding into fear, that's what makes it sinful. Giving into a lifestyle of fears where, where, where your enemies are, are dictating your life. That and losing your confidence in God, that's what leads you to sin. Verse 15 now it says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. Wow, that's incredible there. The wall was finished and completed. I want you to underline, circle, jot down a note of verse now 15, 52 days. The wall was broken down for 100 years. And it was built in 52 days. Can you believe that? It was finished in 52 days. I, I, the, the reason why that blows me away because if we go back to chapter 1, and in between chapter 1 and chapter 2, what did it say that Nehemiah did? Nehemiah did something impo important here. It said that he prayed for four months. <laughs> so you're telling me that he prayed longer than it actually took to build the wall? He built the wall in less than two months. <laughs> but it took four months of praying. That is incredible. Do you, do you see that correlation? That sometimes we're more concerned about the work than we are about the prayer. He worked harder in prayer than he did in labor. It took him four months to pray about it, but it only less than two months to actually build. What did it say that Nehemiah was dedicated? And after 52 days, even over a hundred years of people thinking about it, wishful thinking, we, you know, thinking about that it was a great idea, how good it would be. Finally, a man came with the, the heart after God, a shepherd's heart. When he saw the people of Jerusalem, they grieved him. And he ached and he prayed and he planned and he went and he fought. He was encouraged. He stood now. What God called him to do. All the way through, the job was completed. But he also had people around him that had the same kind of heart. It wasn't man, one man. It had people around him that had the same kind of heart. We want to see the Lord do a great work, but we're going to give one person all the responsibility. No, the people around him had the same dedication and the same heart. You see, it's possible that other people didn't have the shepherd's heart. That's why a hundred years and no one did anything. It's possible that they didn't have shepherd eyes. That's why for a hundred years, no one did anything. You see, Nehemiah was called to serve God's people and to protect God's people. And he was watching and he was on guard the way other people weren't. Right? So in verse 16 now it says, And it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very afraid or disheartened. What were they afraid and disheartened about? Let's read about what, what happens here. In their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. They knew it wasn't a work of man, it was a work of God. And when people notice this is a work of God, this is not a work of man, they start to become afraid because they know and they see that it has the fingerprints of God all over it. This is not man pushing this. This is not man striving. This is not man trying to force open a situation. This is God around it, under it, over it, beside it, pushing it. This is the Lord now. This work is done by God. When it's done by man, it's not going to last. But when it's done by God, it's going to last. 
They were frightened. They were humiliated. They realized that, that they, they, they couldn't do anything to stop them now. It was the Lord. They felt humiliated now. They, they knew they couldn't fight against God because it was His wall. It was His work. It was His church. It was His people, right? And we start to realize this. Your work, Lord. It's your church. It's your people. It's for your glory. Lord, you do whatever you want then. Guess what? The work will continue, right? It, it starts to make you realize that it, this was God initiated and God empowered. God started this and God empowered this to take place. What I remember in Acts chapter 5, what happened in Acts 5, where they said, you know what, we're going to stop these men from preaching. And Gamaliel stood up and it says, you know what, don't fight against God because if this is a work of man, it's going to stop on its own. But if this is God, you better not fight against God. You better not fight against God. Verse 17 and 18, as we finish here, as also in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him because he was the son of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and the son of Jehonan, had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Also they reported his good deeds before me, and reported my words to him. Tobias sent letters to frighten me. You see, well, how did it end here? That the enemy kept blasting, but God kept building. <laughs> That's usually the way it works. The enemy will continue to blast, but God will continue to build. They sent letters to frighten him. But what did we learn here? That persistence, see? Persistency pays rich dividends. Are you persistent that you're never going to give up? You're never going to give up. That you're willing to even be seen as the bad guy at times because in order to do what is right before God and before His people, that you're willing to even do that? See, Nehemiah had a work to do and he wasn't going to get distracted by the opinions of people. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank You, God. We pray right now by your spirit, Lord, that we would not live by fear, by intimidation, scared about life, intimidated that we never take steps of faith. They're not going to want to do it with me, we think. We let the lies of the enemy come and, and sway us and push us and drive us and dictate the pace, and we become distracted. But I pray, Lord, that we would not allow anything in our lives, Lord, to distract us, that we would be more engaged than ever and less entangled than ever. That we would say, I can't come to that because I'm engaged in a great work. I'm doing a great work. That's primary. Everything else is secondary. Lord, I pray that today maybe if there are things in our life that are primary and they're in the wrong order. Lord, that you would, Lord, through discernment, give us the discernment to say, these things are in the wrong order. First is the Lord. It's the work of the Lord. And everything else is a secondary matter. Let us put, Lord, our hands to the plow and strengthen us. Protect us, Lord, from living in fear. In Jesus' name, together we said.